Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish Island. Hello and welcome to Dish Island. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. Hi, everyone. How are you all doing? They can't. Wait, are they responding right now? They are in my head. Excellent. Well, the <laughs> island's getting to you. Listen, something occurred to me, Tegan. Yeah. So, you know how sometimes you're craving a bit of a sweet and there's nothing in the house? Do I know that feeling? Yes, Paul, I know that feeling. That is 90% of my day. Yeah, I turn into a snack werewolf. <laughs> Problem is, because you're such a good baker and you love me so much, anytime I give you a kind of, you know, my, I get the big shiny sad eyes. Of, yes. Yep. And you say nowadays that rather than going to the shops and grabbing something, you just whip me up a batch of biscuits. Well, it's sometimes quicker, not always, sometimes quicker, definitely cheaper, mm. maybe healthier. Yeah. Now that's the point I want to push you on. Right. So I could have a Freddo frog. Right. right? And that'd be bad for me. Yes. I could have a bar of caramel. Very bad for you. Yes. But is it worse than, you know, Nine apple scrolls or 15 Anzac biscuits or lemon drop. You know those lemon drop biscuits we make? Darren purchases ones. Yes, I do. Well, the problem is, Paul, is is there. It's, I mean, it's oh, so pretty, I'm the problem. You are the problem. <laughs> and look, we can't have the apple scroll incident again. What Paul is referring to is in the past couple of weeks, mm. um, as my hand slowly recovers, I had an operation. It's in one of the previous episodes. Can't remember which one. I am slowly getting back into baking. And we have been tinkering with this gorgeous soft cinnamon apple scroll recipe. First time. Went really well. Second time, also really well, but slightly soggy bottom. However, it just means that we end up with a giant batch of scrolls in our house. And, you know, we're in Melbourne. We're all still technically in lockdown. Delivering baked goods is not one of the five reasons for us to leave our house. I haven't seen this many scrolls lying around since I was transported to the Library of Alexandria. Who is that joke for exactly? I don't know. I don't like like <laughs> Greek philosophers from whenever. Listen, I'm really happy they're in the house. It's a problem, though. There's just so many of them. Uh, I think maybe the best thing to do, yeah, is just for me to get some self-restraint. I think what I'm hearing is in the next few weeks, it would be really ideal if we were to invite a nutritionist onto the island, somebody who can really break down how much your half-dozen scroll binging seshes... <laughs> What sort of damage they're doing to your insides. But that's in the future because for today, we already have a guest and he's pretty special. Very special. Today's guest is one of Australia's best ballet dancers. He's a senior artist with the Australian Ballet. He won Telstra's People's Choice Award in 2016 and the Green Room Award in 2019. He's performed in everything from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland to Spartacus and, most importantly, he co-hosted World Ballet Day with you, Tegan. Yay! Yay! Please (laughs) welcome to the island, Jared Madden. 
Jared Madden, welcome to the island. It has been a long time for us trying to get you here, but you are here now, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks. It's been a bloody while to get here. I tell you what, the tranquilizer dart to the neck didn't wasn't necessary. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, Tegan's uh, a really good shot, and she likes any chance she gets to kind of take down a large foe. So, you know, <laughs> I, but I mean, she took you out from like you're in the mainland, and we're how far away are we? You had to like follow the curvature of the earth with that bullet. I was impressed, but I, I am. I've become a good shot. I also like that as this this podcast of ours progresses, <laughs> yep. you know, we've stopped just luring people onto the island via boat, so now we're just pretty much across the board. Like, there's a 50% chance you'll get shot in the neck. It's just abduction. Jared, if you got shot in the neck from that far away, how did you then get unconsciously from Australia across to the island, like, sedated? Well, you tell me. I don't know. I'm just bloody here. I tell you what, I have a, a fear of open water, so that's fine. Oh, so it's possible that you didn't actually black out. It's possible that you just blocked it out, right? Like you just suppressed that memory. Yeah, I mean, that's that could have happened too. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. Before we go into your love of food, which I'm sure you have because you're here on Dish Island, we just want to chat to you a bit more about your fantastic career, which is that you are a ballet dancer. You're a senior artist with the Australian Ballet, which is pretty bloody special. You've been dancing since you're three. Is that correct? Yeah, three and a half. My my mum was a dancer and she was um in the Sydney circuit of more like national character. So if you think like the, the Cossack kind of hopak stuff in Russia, oh. yeah, yeah. that's what she, that was her scene. I was yeah, I'm born in Sydney, but then when she retired, my dad and her had a country change and she started teaching at a local ballet school in Warhope, where I grew up. And yeah, I just followed her into the studio and then the rest is history, really. Right. So, I mean, you're, I don't know how old you are. I think we're about the same age. They say, how many hours is it you have to do something, Paul, before you're an expert? Uh, I think 10,000 hours. By that rationale, you're like 15 ballet experts, right? Like you've done a lot of ballet. That checks out. <laughs> Sorry, quick, quick math. Yes, that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So <laughs> yes. is, there a po- is there a point where you kind of reach this event horizon where you're as good as you're going to get? Or is this a, are you constantly learning? Oh, I mean, that's, that's a loaded question really, isn't it? I'm always trying to better myself, but I think realistically, I'm in the twilight of my career. Really? Things are getting harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think professional dancers, people firstly don't actually think it's a real professional full-time job right. that's the funny conversation when you're always like oh so what's your real job and you're like no no this is it and they are oh. with dancing just like any other professional sport really is that you kind of prime in your mid late 20s and you can kind of coast by really 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 well into your 30s mm. but uh yeah it starts to hurt more <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. Hang on, do you mean physically or emotionally? Like oh, Both. I, I tell you what, when you get the 18-year-olds join the company and they're just naturally doing backflips, uh, and that's what I've always ever wanted to be, a ninja. Yes, okay, yeah. And still to this day, I can't do a backflip. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts emotionally. No, but physically it does. It really does um, just beat you up a bit more. And, you know, you used, I used to do six, seven shows a week and just be completely fine. But now, as a senior artist, I get... Uh, the chance to do more of the leading roles every now and then. And so with that, then you get kind of rest nights because it's a bit more demanding. Boy, do I need those rest nights. (laughs) Well, I met you. We've been friends now for about 
I think it's three or four years. Time doesn't matter to me anymore. Mm. When I met you, you were just about to jump into the role of Spartacus, uh, which you, that would have been 2019 because that's the year you won your Green Room Award. And I remember how physically exerting that was on you and that you had to completely transform your body for that role. You went from being a, I don't know, typical live ballet sort of physique to- Elven. Elven to muscle man. You got you got ripped for that role. You got jacked, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was uh, one of the best, most exciting pieces I got to, I've ever been able to do. I pretty much picked this career because of Spartacus the ballet. I saw it uh, when I was uh, fourteen. I was you know that that influential kind of period where you kind of start to kind of work out yourself and what you want to do with your life. And my ballet school gave me a chance to go see the Australian ballet perform this piece in in the opera house and it was just uh like mind-blowing and just life-changing like because i I, growing up in a small country town uh my preconceived idea of ballet was just you know guys wear tights and girls wear tutus and that that's it and you know so i was more not a ballet kid i was more theatrical like i predominantly wanted to become a tap dog which is old school (laughs) now you know, I'm quite a good tapper as well, so I, I enjoyed that a lot more. I was expecting myself to be, you know, like like on Broadway or that kind of scene. But when I saw this, ballet is this emotionally evocative vessel, which is just incredible to watch. It's something that I didn't expect it was. So it was really cool to kind of... I was in the second row from the front and I just got swept up in the whole story. I didn't realize how much story was in ballets. And it's it's so emotional and so powerful. And also Spartacus being quite a male-dominant mm. piece was really good for me to kind of be eye-opening in that respect because I copped a lot of slack. And so I wasn't... I was convincing myself that I wasn't going to do ballet. But when I did see this, this piece, that's what I wanted to do. It was... I wanted to be Spartacus up on that stage. And wonderful full story, full circle moment was... Years later, now in the company, quite high up in the ranks, we got word that we were going to do a brand new version of Spartacus, going to be completely brand new. So we had the incredible Lucas Jovies, who's generally more of the contemporary scene, kind of come into our company to stage his production. And it was wonderful. I was another cast of Spartacus. So the original Inception piece that kind of gave it the green light for our company was me doing that part of Durr with Robin Hendricks, one of the principals, stunning stunning lady. And so our part of that he created on us was enough to seal the deal to give him a, f- a three-act ballet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was that was cool in itself. Like that, the, the part of Deux is the most quintessential musical moment in, in Spartacus. It's, it's the piece that if you know any of it, you'd know that song. And so, yeah, so that was amazing. That got greenlit and the whole production went ahead. And so then I was one of, I was Spartacus. I was the main guy, like the, the leader of the rebellion and all that. So I was instantly hooked and we had a great, it was, it was so real. Like a lot of ballets can be, a lot of old ballets, I might say, can be quite naff at times or dated. Like some of the classics are classics. You can't touch them like Swan Lake and Sleeping Beauty and all that. They're, they're wonderful. But Spartacus was a little dated. And so we did this brand new version, like with real fight scenes, not jazz dance aerobic fight scenes that should be just left in the 80s. This was real. We had this great fight guy come in. His name was Nigel. He has worked a lot of Hollywood. Paul, I know you're a Pirates fan right now. He fight choreographed one of those movies. 
Yeah, yeah. This this guy was <laughs> is the real deal. Oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a proper fight because I was watching this and Tegan like Tegan. I'll be honest. At this point, I hadn't had like I hadn't dipped my toe in the ballet thing yet, and Tegan dragged me to Spartacus against my will. Ten minutes in, I'm like, <laughs> this is great. Like it is. It was like watching pro wrestling meets high art. Could you, by that rationale, you mentioned that there were some like old-fashioned ballets, and you know I've since seen some old-fashioned ballets, and they are indeed a little bit old-fashioned. Could you not just whack a fight scene in Swan Lake, <laughs> just break that Swan's <laughs> neck? Like how how far can you go when discerning whether you should or should not judge up a traditional classic piece of ballet? Oh, I mean, that's the hardest thing. You don't mess with the classics unless you really mess with them and bring them. Into a really different take, like like for instance, we have a really wonderful Swan Lake that is completely detached from what it ever was supposed to be back in the. Oh, I'm bad with history. Um, like 1800s, I'd say. Like uh, we have a great Australian choreographer, Graham Murphy, and he took Swan Lake from what it was and just pretty much chucked it in the bin, and decided that it was going to be a love story or a love triangle between. Without saying what it was, it was about you know, Diana, Camilla and Charles. It was like this love triangle. So instead of having the magical black swan, white swan mysticism around that, it was literally the prince was in love and was supposed to be with Diane, but Mm. really wanted to have a bit of fun on the side. So then uh, Odette goes crazy and starts seeing swans in her head and she ends up tragically insane, was our version. Wow. It's, It's really, really, really powerful and a really good version. I highly recommend it. But that's taking like the template of, you know, a love triangle and tragedy and hallucinations and whatnot. But you couldn't just go, all right, we're replacing the swans with monster trucks and we're setting it. <laughs> like, you, you have to then find some sort of like interesting analog to make the metaphor work, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's what Graham does very, very well. Like he sees something and then just like molds it like Play-Doh and just kind of takes his own ideas and just really influences something that was to something that is completely different yeah well speaking of swan lake jared what i've realized is i was introduced to ballet at the same time i got to meet you and it was really great that that was the case because as i started i I was doing this hosting job for everybody who's listening uh with the australian ballet for world ballet day and i was working with jared and so as i was getting to know the ballet i had you explaining things to me which was really really handy because not only are you right, people don't realize that dancing is a profession that you do full time and you guys really are full time. But I think there are quite a few people out there who will just never see ballet in their life because it's a bit spency. <laughs> You're a bit fancy. Oh, it's, it's highbrow. I don't think like, <laughs> which, you know, behind closed doors, it's, it's not. It's <laughs> Yes, it's really fancy to go to the ballet and it's really, really lush and plush. Um, but it's really just... I live such a juxtaposed life. Like I'm, I'm just a normal guy, and yeah, with, like I have kids and a family, and like it, it's, it's nothing really to it. So like that's kind of where I want to go because I think that most people, the only time that they will have seen ballet is in movies. So they are going to think that it's all these things that they see in the movies. Yeah, we were hoping that you could just do for us a little bit of a, I guess, a fact checker based on your experiences as a dancer. So we're going to run you through some like ballet films. Pretty classic scenarios yeah. that people will be familiar with and you can tell us whether you have personally experienced this or not. Yeah. For example, All right. as we've mentioned already, you won a Green Room Award in 2019. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Did you stab anybody to win that award physically, in the back, metaphorically? Did you stab them in a changing room? Did that happen? I kneecapped every bastard. <laughs> 
out there. <laughs> so many hobbled dancers in Melbourne. I was... Oh, no, no. I was coming for everyone. Literally, I didn't care who it was in any production anywhere. I was like some some random guy in, in a little government-funded piece. I was like, I don't know who you are, but get out of my way. No, 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 no. This was such a wonderful out of the blue thing like like the thing with a green room is you get nominated by your peers in your industry not internally through oh. the company it's this is like a bigger thing than i've imagined it was mm. it's it's a victorian recognition so someone outside of our work saw me and thought oh, i had whatever it was that it, that they thought was important so that was wildly like I, I, I was i felt so honored it was so nice i didn't expect it no i'm kind of lost with words but you didn't have to go and you know like kill anyone with a sharp no okay. no 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 there's there's uh there's that such i mean I, I guess some companies can be a little bit <laughs> murdery <laughs> murdery stabby, stabby. Not, maybe it's a bit too far but you know if you, if you could do a little, a little google you might find some sus story somewhere but no no especially in our company we are very supportive all right so okay. the, so um your your particular ballet company no murders good. and uh okay great. no murders all right great we've come out on the record as anti-murder that's good now so let's talk Billy Elliot. So when you're angry at your coal mining father, have you ever run out into the street and danced to release the tension that has been accrued from your depressing working class upbringing? I don't know how... <laughs> no, I think the question's said at all, Paul. Yeah. Has that ever happened? It's a simple yes or no, Jared. And when you dance, does it feel like electricity in your body? <laughs> I first of all, my dad doesn't work in the coal mines. Well, this is upsetting. All the things I thought were lies. Like lied to. Sorry, this is... No, uh, no. To be honest, when I'm home, uh, I'm not getting paid. So no, I'm not dancing at home. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. So you don't dance for free. Thank you very much. <laughs> I do the daggy dad dance. Like there are some friends who can go to the clubs and just rip up the floor. I'm that guy that kind of bops and just points his fingers at everyone. <laughs> Hang on. Kind of creepy. No, I'm sorry. You spent you spent so many years of your life learning to dance, learning to tap, and you're telling me that when you get on the dance floor, you do the Chandler kind of arms flailing. Like, <laughs> what? Do you never? Would you never get into a club? and just go, I'm just going to cut sick with some Swan Lake, baby? Or would that be so weird that you would never do it? Uh, I mean, I used to think I could break dance. <laughs> the whitest man I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, like, I-, I couldn't. But, you know, like, I can do the, I can do a decent worm. That's about it. That is that is as far as I can go. Right. <laughs> this is based on what I think is the best ballet film that exists. Oh, here we go. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of women out there are going to agree with me. I am, of course, talking about Centre Stage. So, Jared, Ooh. how hard would it be to suddenly bring a fully functioning motorcycle oh. onto a stage mid-performance? Because that just seems to happen effortlessly in Centre Stage. Oh, just the, I mean, the paperwork, just to get it backstage. My goodness. I mean, it was a standout. I'll, I'll give you that. But, yeah, I mean, it could happen. It could, it's just wouldn't. I think it's just a bit tacky. What's the weirdest, weirdest, largest prop that you've ever had deployed on the stage? Because well, I've seen some weird things appear on stage with you on stage mm. as well. But I'm, I'm curious as to what you would regard as the like the smoking real motorcycle equivalent in your ballet history. Uh, look, I, 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 I am notorious for touching props. I should not touch props and props should never be near me. But if we're ever in a production where there's a sword, like everyone's just got to get away. <laughs> right. Everyone, uh, No, I, I need someone on me at all times. We have 
our stage manager who's backstage running the show and then they have assistant stage managers you know one on each side mm. to help call cues and tell the mechs to go pull that set off and push that set on but I need another another stage manager just to hawk me and keep me away from swords oh like a like a spotter or like a caddy or so- no not a caddy because no, a caddy no, would like, have like no. 12 swords in like a, in a golf bag for you you want someone to just make sure that you don't play with the swords or to make sure that you no, like a safely. like a carer Oh, right. Like a carer, someone stopping me from being immature and irresponsible. Right, right. I, I love that you're trying to paint this picture that you're the everyman, but so far we've got that you won't dance unless you're getting paid and you need a full-time carer. I don't know, Jared. I just don't know. Proficient with swords, can do the worm. What kind of some weird chameleonic kind of... We've got one more fact check for you. One more fact check. Here we go. So uh, as we've established, Jared, you're a classically trained ballet dancer. Did you ever consider teaming up with someone from maybe the wrong side of the tracks who does like street dancing? And at first you don't see eye to eye, but by combining your dance styles, you create the ultimate fusion of elegance and edge. Absolutely. And I tried it and it bombed. You know, just there's this, there's this... out on the stage, you just we we colloquially call it the the, the sea of grey. It's just the lovely old biddies that come to the production who we absolutely love and adore. Right, <laughs> and it, they, there's, there's there's no place for it for them. Well, right, you're saying so, so. You're saying that whilst you whilst you in theory would love to kind of like merge styles, the sea of grey, as you called them, and I must say, Tegan looked very confused when you said that. Like, can you say that? Or purple rinse. Sometimes the purple <laughs> rinse. Sure. Look, we've been to a few of your shows now, and we can. You know, you know who I'm talking. We can yeah, attest you... to the fact that there is this odd moment that whenever the lights go down at the art centre before an Australian <laughs> ballet production, yeah. that's when the coffining begins. And the coffining <laughs> is just every thirty, forty seconds, you hear a cough, which is like, oh, she's dead. <laughs> like. <laughs> It's and a- it just, it never stops. And it never happens during music. It always happens in the middle. Like, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't want to hide this. I need this to exist in an island of silence. So I'm just going to... You can't talk shit, actually. You know this story, oh Jared, because I've already told you about oh, this. Oh, and it's a food story. It's a food story. Oh, here we go. This was... Okay, so the very first production that Paul came to see wasn't Spartacus, uh, Paul. It was Giselle. It was Giselle, yes, yes. And we went there oh. and uh, about... This, the Giselle was in three acts, yeah. and it was about halfway during the second act. I could smell this 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 very curious smell. It was like soy. It was a soy smell. <laughs> and I looked across, and Paul, in his best suit, it like a three piece suit, had stuffed soy crackers, like, like rice crackers, rice like crackers, the big seaweed crackers, yeah. into his lapel pocket. Yeah. In order to mask the sound of his chewing because he was hungry, was chewing in time with the music. So everybody around us, along with the, you know, the wonderful work of the, it's the Victorian Symphony Orchestra who accompanies you. Is that correct? Yes, in, in, in Melbourne. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Would have had the added benefit of crunch, crunch, munch, munch. It's a hum, 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 hum. <laughs> it's, it was that because the music was beautiful, but had very clear delineated moments. So what I would do is, uh, I don't mean to get too... To graphic here, Jared, but I would put the rice cracker in my mouth for a few minutes to let it break down somewhat, and then I would finish the... It was a whole thing, and I thought I was getting away with it. All right, you know what? On this, Jared... God, yes. Okay, speaking of food, these shows are long. You exert so much energy throughout the show. Mm. Do you snack in the breaks? And if so, what are you snacking? And have you ever had a bad snack experience? Have you ever gone, whoops, we shouldn't have had the chili con carne before Swan Lake? (laughs) Well, hang on. Let me think. Yes, for when we do the shows, there's always 
the pre-show build-up and and you exert yourself. Some of the shows can be hours long, really, mm. and some of them shouldn't be hours long, but they are. But when we do, <laughs> I try and time it to have a proper meal probably three hours before a show because otherwise, if you if you leave it too late, it sits in your stomach and it's just the worst. It's You just feel, you know, like, like having a meal and going for a run. Mm. Like, it doesn't, it's just not. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns fun and if that window kind of shortens or i mistime it then it's just generally go to hot chips right yeah just kind of you ingest it a lot faster i guess and it gives you that quick burst high gi it's not good for you really kind of in any other respect apart from just quick energy Mm. so yeah uh and then during the shows i'm a bit of a coffee addict so i'll probably have a coffee in the intervals and then at night, so I'm buzzing by the time show's finished and um, I don't sleep thereafter. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's kind of minimal snacking, really. Or a, like a banana, sometimes trying to be healthy, but it's kind of whatever's, whatever's in the bag, really. But you don't have like weird little pockets sewn about your tights and whatnot so you can reach in while your back's turned and pull out a gummy worm. You don't have like hidden snacks no. about your person. No, they never. It's, it's all a lie. They never give us real pockets on stage. What? It's really frustrating. Yeah, no, no. Every pocket you see is, is just a pretend pocket. Like, you know... Like pockets on, on, on ladies' jeans sometimes are yes, just yes. fakies. It's just so insulting. I want to use the pockets. Like I could broaden my acting range if You're I... You're a method actor, damn it. I, I, I Sometimes, admittedly, I go to put my hands in my pockets on stage and forget that they're not real and then just look like this <laughs> dipshit who's just brushing his thighs. You do it really emphatically and you, you kind of like fall to one side because you try to put your hand in like a cool move. I did actually hear that um, that McAllister was thinking about putting cargo shorts into one of the shows, but unfortunately he's not there anymore. So no six-pocketed pants mm. for you. No. no, cargo pants next time. Just going back a second. So for Spartacus, you had to beef up. I mm. work uh, for a fitness app and the man who is the face of my fitness app is consistently having to do these body transformations for the roles that he plays. So he's getting, you know, really big to play a superhero and then he needs to get slightly slimmer to play somebody else. And like a slightly slimmer superhero. Like it's, a slightly slimmer it's, superhero. It's usually a superhero, yeah. All I know is that to build that level of muscle that quickly, the protein intake is pretty intense and you've got to be eating oh. a lot. Is that something that you also experienced? Yes, Oh, it was it was the worst. Uh, yeah, it, that's exactly right. I had to up my intake. So having been a professional dancer for the last 14-odd years, mm. my body's kind of maintained this equilibrium of what I eat and what I burn off, right, just like as you would expect. But I, I put it to myself, there was never a requirement to gain size for the role. But considering we were pretty much naked in the majority of the show, I wanted to be... I wanted to look more than just a ballet dancer. I wanted to kind of fit the role perfectly and be more like a fighter because mm. we're like a trained gladiator, kind of like what the role deserved. Yeah. So I put it to myself to like, you know, I'm going to like the rehearsal period to create the ballet was about 12 weeks long thereabouts. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to hit this hard and try and gain some mass. And I did, but it's the, the eating became just, oh, it, it was just the worst. I had to wake up. I, I did a quick Google 
on said superhero and other superheroes in the past yes. and, and try to find some of their diet routines to kind of get a ballpark rough ideas to what they did mm. to help me out. And yeah, so I, I would wake up in the morning, like, like for instance, Hugh Jackman would slam like eight to 12 eggs straight up Whoa. just in the morning during Wolverine. And I, I managed four, four <laughs> each day. So that was that was more than enough. And then the thing is, even when you're full, you had to eat. And that's the worst when you're trying to run a three-act ballet during the day. You don't want to have food in your stomach brand new sitting there to feel sick. So that was extremely hard. The eating was the worst bit. My cheat days was not eating. Oh, wow. That's, oh, so it's like a yeah. treat not to eat. Oh, look, I did, I, made, I, did this to, I did this to myself. So I'd wake <laughs> up, have eggs, and then an hour later, I would have a big bowl of oats and then get to work and then have to have another snack and then constantly to snack throughout the day and have some kind of chicken and rice set up for lunch, right. get home, have some, you know, an- another chicken rice or whatever protein and carb I needed and some steamed broccoli and carrots, that kind of stuff. Like, like you would expect, like any other bulker would do, mm. but yeah, it was hard. I put on probably five, six kilos of muscle, which is, I was, I was proud of myself, like where I got considering also the hardest part for me was then I would put on this mass, but then do a lot of cardio, which apparently kills yeah. size. So I'd be running the production and then going to the gym and trying to get bigger. So I kind of got to a point. I could have got bigger if I wasn't doing the other part, but it was good. And it was it was fun. But then at the same time, it went a bit dark because all of a sudden I've never been a comparison kind of guy. I never looked at others, but I, I noticed this really dark obsession of, of body image, which went not what I was expecting. It just... I was seeing other people work out and they have other body metabolisms. I learned that there was like, there's generally about three different metabolisms. Like you've got the skinny guy who never can put on any weight to the other extreme of the guy who just eats a chip and bulks up. So I was sitting somewhere in the middle. So some of the other guys were just jacking themselves up and just getting huge so fast and so easily. And I was just struggling a little bit. So that like, that was a really weird dark turn that I didn't expect. So now having posts come out of that and just being back to normal. So fine again. But yeah, that was really enlightening and scary. And it's funny. And this is the first time that sort of thought process had been present in your life. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, the art form itself can be quite... It's it's hard because it's all about someone's idea of you. So when you, when you join the company or when you're a professional ballet dancer, it's not as easy as I earn $10,000 more than that guy, so I should earn the promotion. It's more an opinion-based thing. So like the director could say, I like how you move more than that guy. So they get the promotion. You know, I'm a rank from the top. So I'm really proud of myself with where I've gotten. But you kind of just naturally kind of sometimes compare to other people. Like Mm. I'm not a a flexible dancer. I can't do the splits. Surprise, surprise. But, you know, a lot of people, other guys can all just do the splits and and have legs up near their ears. I sit comfortably at 90 degrees and that's where I've always have been. Mm. And so I just have to be okay with that. So that's kind of like, that's the other side of being, you know, uh, you know, as I said, I've been in the, in the job for a long time now. So I'm very comfortable with, with myself and where I sit. And yeah, and now it's kind of pushing that idea onto my children to be okay with who you are, to push for what you want and also be proud of who you are. It's funny, isn't it? That, um, you know, we had a conversation really similar with one of our guests, Sean Redgrave, about the, the constant pressure we put on ourselves. And I'd heard a podcast and one of the guys from Auntie Donna, his name's Broden Kelly, and I think he's... Ah, I love Auntie Donna, yes. just a funny, funny guy. And he Mm. was talking about the pressure that he puts on himself as a comedian. And he thought back to when he was younger and that if he'd sat down and told his younger self everything he'd achieved in the past year alone, that self would have just been 
absolutely blown away by it. And I often think about that, that if I, yeah, spoke to, you know, what would I be like 17 year old me and went, Hey, this is where my career's at. That person would probably go, Holy shit, I've made it. This is unbelievable. I've completely made it. Absolutely. And similar to yourself, if you've been dancing for a very long time, yes, but you were in the, one of the best ballet companies in the world and you are Mm. the top of that ballet company and you won a green room award playing the lead role in one of their most outstanding productions. But isn't it amazing that even you still get stuck in that comparison game? I find that wild. Yeah. And no matter what, I was reading this, like, so I have a full story. I have have a young six-year-old daughter Mm. and I want her to grow up to be proud of herself and proud of her achievements. But it's very easily, you hear like dark stories, you know, appear on the news every other day about, you know, like teen problems and anorexia and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I never, ever, ever want her to have to ever put those thoughts into her head. And so it's a really kind of interesting mind, a journey to go through to kind of be okay with yourself. Mm. And I know she's going to probably have to go through that in, in some way, in some respect, in some, you know, in some capacity in her life, but it's it's that reassurance and being accepted and being accepted within herself, like mm. being okay with all that she is, because all that she is is amazing. She's such a good kid and so proud of her. And I just want her to be proud of herself as well. Yeah. It's that headspace. It's how you see yourself, really. Yeah. God, this got dark. I know. Well, I'm so sorry. I just, it's, yeah, it's it's a, it's a really interesting, it's an interesting thing. Speaking of, because uh, you clearly have a handle on how you want to raise, you know, your kids, but I'm curious as to how you were raised. I understand that you grew up in the country, but I mean, what were your relationships with food like when you were growing up? Solid segue, Paul. Thanks, well man. done. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I grew up in a small town and most of my childhood, my parents owned and run a video shop. So I lived the dream in the 90s. This explains why you're a nerd burger. I didn't know this. You you grew up in a video shop. That's cool. Yeah. We had every new movie come in at our beck and call. So it was amazing. All of them. So that was great. And and on the other side of the building that they were slowly developing and finally opened when I was a bit older in my Mm -hmm. teens, there's that we owned also a family pizza restaurant weird yeah i like i don't know so like and it was a small town and i think it crashed and burned all too soon but i think it was a bit too niche for just this the hawaiian lovers and the meat lovers people what kind of pizza are we talking like a wood-fired pizza place like how bougie was this or are you was it a franchise like what was it? oh no so okay okay so for some reason my father thought it would be clever or different to Name the pizzas or, or, or theme them off the Second World War. <laughs> oh my god! I'm sorry. What? Yeah. So, so one of the pizzas was called the Bikini Atoll. Another one was <laughs> the Little Boy, named after one of the bombs. Oh my god! I, I still to this day I I struggle to understand the connection with pizza. Right. But but there it is. Dad has has a fascination and love for history, so I can understand that. But why in this direction? Why? And then the name the name of the restaurant itself was called Fizakalis, which I think was something to do with cars. So, f*** is how this all joined. But the pizza tastes were just odd. One of them, my personal favourite, was the little boy, which was like ro- had, had roast lamb, tabbouleh, and sun dried tomatoes. It was Greek on on Italian. No, that works. I think that I think that absolutely. It also sounds like a fetish, Greek on Italian. But like it's it's I, <laughs> I find that interesting that because sometimes dads do stuff where you go like 
they just mash together a bunch of things they like and they don't ever think about the user experience. Do you know what I do you know what's <laughs> yeah. really weird? Is my dad was gonna do one of these things where he smashed together I've not told you this story. No. Holy shit, Paul, I've no. not told you this story. Jared, my dad yep. is a space nut. He loves all things Ooh. space. He also really likes omelettes. So no. he wanted to start up a food truck and call it the Galactic Omelette, where all of right. the omelettes were going to be space-themed. What I'm saying is I think your dad and my dad should be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad thing is, like, no one stopped him from deciding this. Maybe my mum somehow thought that that's fine. That'll, okay, let's run with that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know how it worked. And it worked for a little while. I mean, there was a cult following. The town was, I think. I don't even think it barely capped 10,000 people. So, right. like, it's a decent quality for, for a small country town. Mm. But, like, really, we saw the same people every second night. Wow. So, yeah, not surprised it kind of didn't really continue on too long. I just remembered, another pizza was chicken, chili, and banana. Oh. Yeah, that's not great. What was that called? The, the Blitz? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's gone. No, but oddly, okay, I think actually this explains my weird taste. I, I, have, I have odd taste buds. It didn't taste too bad. It was it was that weird experience you weren't expecting that kind of worked. I kind of like, I, I guess like, you know, chili chocolate. Right, yeah. Which is a bit more accepted, but it had this weird play in your mouth that kind of just worked. I'm sitting here going, I think, honestly, it would be a really great thing to do for your dad if you were to start up a pizza joint on the island. I mean, there's... Because at this point, we've got like we've got like a dozen people here and they've all got pretty disparate tastes, but I don't see any reason why you couldn't relaunch this, this place. Well, let's go back to dinner times at your place where things were probably pretty experimental, I'm guessing. I mean, if your dad was putting these pizzas into his restaurant, surely he was trying them out on his kids first. What was what was dinner time like? Because you say you've got weird tastes, and I'm curious about this. Uh, I, I've learnt over the years that a good sauce can fix anything. Are you talking about a tomato sauce? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, that's where it started. Mum, for me, was, mum always encouraged eating vegetables. So when I was a child, when we had dry mashed potato, we, we'd sculpt it into the shape of, vol- of a volcano, poke a hole in the top, <laughs> fill it full of tomato sauce and have it explode out the sides. So I just literally be eating tomato sauce with a touch of mash. Oh, God. I'm super intrigued because, as you've said, you've got this high-end, you know, this side of you, but you're also uh, a bin chicken. So <laughs> what sort of dish are you, Jared Madden, bringing to our island? Oh, this has been... I've been nervous for this question. At first, I was going to be a bit clever. Like, I was going down the sauce avenue, and I know that would probably shit you off, Paul, because it's not a meal. But I would put sauce on a rock, like bring like an aioli. Oh, yeah. Uh, a chipotle, uh, some kind of, any kind of quality sauce. I would put on anything, and it would save any meal. That's where I was going, and then I was scared. You scared me off. So I wanted to kind of at least satisfy you guys a bit. So it's pretty basic, but... A staple in my life that I've always been around and always will go to is just a classic ye old toasted ham cheese tomato toasty. Right. But decent, like on like a quality sourdough with ton of butter, so it really absorbs like the bread's just 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 oil <laughs> in the end. And it's got like a nice smoked ham and, and quality deli cheese. Like that kind of really nice version. That's what I would go with and I would accompany it with 
I'm from Melbourne, so I'm a bit of a coffee wanker. So I would go with a really good flat white. Thank you. And Can I just say, nobody has brought a goddamn cup of coffee to this island yet. Oh, God, that's a good point. And at this point, it's been months and it's, everyone's going crazy. Exactly. So first of all, I just hats off for, for being bold enough to just go that you're going to bring a cup of coffee with mm. your meal. I think that is amazing. But I really dig the sandwich. Paul, You, how do you feel about the sandwich? Well, if I'm having a ham cheese tomato sandwich, right, first of all, I'm toasting it. Second. I'm whacking some seeded mustard on there or something. Are you, yeah, are, are there... what's going on with the spreads here? So you'd whack some grainy mustard on there or something, or you could whack a salsa verde on, but you're basically saying you want a ham, cheese, tomato. T- are you toasting yours? Is it toasted? Yeah, I bring the toaster. you got a PowerPoint? Uh, no. It's... <laughs> you, you, you guys... Oh, I'm a, I'm a build a fire. Oh, can you imagine how good it would taste over a proper log fire? And I think it's a noble dish and I'm very very grateful for you for bringing it to the island more so the coffee if we're sharing I'm going to be sharing your coffee thank you but before we let you go the Australian ballet as many people will probably realize uh are not doing shows at the moment because of COVID which is terribly sad I believe you guys have just been told to postpone for another what a few months or a bit more what a lot of people don't realize is that once lockdown finishes that doesn't mean we get back on stage we then we then start to return to these slow increases. So, I mean, at the beginning of the year, we we're about to open one of our bigger seasons, Anna Karenina, and we were in the State Theatre at in the Arts Centre in Melbourne, and the the audience capacity generally there is just over two thousand, and we were only allowed to sit seventy five people. It just doesn't work. People can see a lot of your work online. I know that the Australian Ballet kind of led the way in in a lot of areas in just how quickly they adapted to having shows online and just a really strong online presence during the pandemic. So there is still lots that people can connect with, but I cannot wait to see you guys back on stage. I was telling Paul this, <laughs> um, actually I've spoken to Paul a lot about this. I'm, I'm pretty happy with my career and my choices in life and I'm really happy with the, the direction that I chose to go in. Yeah. But there was one day where I was sitting watching you all record rehearse I was sitting next to David McAllister and you were all just being beautiful and great and it's one of the very first times actually I think it might be the only time where I ever went oh my god did I do the wrong thing with yes, my life I remember that because you all just seemed so wonderful and I just desperately wished that I could do what you guys were doing because it is just so outstanding and I cannot wait to see you all back again and thank you yeah, we'll be out there waving and <laughs> looking very odd amongst the sea of grey as well, you eating your eating your soy <laughs> chips. Oh yeah, like they're in every pocket, crunching in time with the music. We love the ballet, and we love the fact that Melbourne has just like the best ballet in the goddamn world. And we cannot wait to see you guys back <laughs> on stage, and uh, and we hope it's going to happen really soon. Oh, thank you. Oh, so yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see. We'll see how we go. In the meantime, let's all eat and <laughs> try not to scream into the chaos machine. Woo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> you know, help sandwiches. Wee wee. <laughs> Paul, I knew you were going to love Jared. Isn't he just the most wonderful human being? He's amazing. And here's a surprise, Tegan. Go on. He just sent me a text message. What about? Well, he told me what he really thinks of you. <laughs> no, no. He actually sent me a scan of the menu from the pizza <gasps> restaurant. Yeah. So, His okay. dad's pizza restaurant? Yeah. So, His dad's World War II themed pizza restaurant? But look, I'm going to read through some of the pizzas here, yeah? And I want you to let me know whether you think they would be A, delicious, or B, inappropriate. 
Okay. Oh my god. Okay, go. Yep. Okay. By the way, can you imagine someone with like bad post-war PTSD just going, "Oh, it's been a really tough year. I just need a piece." <laughs> Anyway, here we go. Right, just, just put yourself in the head of that person, okay? okay? what For, have we got? First up, we've got the fat boy, which has a double meaning and is kind of insulting. Uh, the fat boy was the name of a bomb. Okay. okay. Yep. We've got the little boy, which I guess, you know... Is also a bomb, but a little one. And also aspirational weight-wise. We've got the atomic blast, and it's got banana chicken and chili on it. That's the name of it, and what happens when that pizza comes out at the other end? Yep, 10 hours later. Uh, there's the atomic plus, which has about 15 things on it. That's just sort of a bunch of stuff okay. rolled together. Then it gets thematically interesting... Green piece, which I think is like a plea for sanity or something. I'm guessing this is the vegetarian pizza. Uh, it is vegetarian. Well, look, okay, this is all striking me as being really inappropriate so far, but logical. Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to dead center in the middle of the menu is the worst thing I've seen on this menu so far, and it's the Pearl Harbor. Shut up. It's ham and pineapple. Now, what's worse, the cultural reference and the insensitivity, or the fact that ham and pineapple are being encouraged on a pizza? Look, you know that I am quite fond of a what would traditionally be called a Hawaiian, yep. but what I will now, from this point on, be referring to as a Pearl Harbor. I just don't want our listeners getting confused, making a late night drunken pizza call and asking for a Pearl Harbor. Where's my Pearl Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh god. My anyway, from there it goes on, we've got the Enola Gay, the Mushroom Cloud, the Hydrogen Bomb. Hang on, what? The hydrogen bomb is a meat lover's delight. We've got the Bikini Atoll, which is where I think nuclear testing was taking place. Uh, the Miraroa Atoll, that's like a that's a real 90s reference. Now, I think the French were testing in Miraroa, so I'm assuming we're going to get some kind of French fare. Camembert on that pizza? No, unfortunately not. It's a tropical blend of prawns, pineapple, ham, and pineapple. What? Hang on. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Prawns, pineapple, ham, pineapple. You yep. know what? This man, I am making the decision right here. This man knows good pizza. He does. He, In fact, this may be the greatest pizza shop in Australian history. And I don't know Jared's dad. I don't know what he wants from his life. But if he wants to open that shop back up, yep. I would make it my mission. <laughs> To make sure that shop succeeds. Because holy shit, Paul, that is dad-centric. It is dad-central is what it is. Now, look, that's just another reason to love Jared. But there was one other thing about Jared that we didn't get to talk about. And I'm really annoyed. Jared has performed with the Wiggles. He's in the Wigglepedia. There's a Wigglepedia? It's like Wikipedia, but just for the Wiggles. So you can't... You don't get much information from it, right? You can't cite it as a source. Yes. But there is a picture of him on there in his full Bailey regalia, waving at the camera. So he's, he's royalty. He's worked with the Wiggles. God, that's exciting. But yeah. do you know what's very strange, Paul, is our guest next week has also worked with the Wiggles. Yes. Now, I was going to do this great big teasing thing where I tease next week's guest, but I think that we should just tell people who it is because oh. it's so exciting. Would you do the honours? Thanks for listening to us today. I hope you enjoyed Jared Madden. Do hop online and follow him across all the socials because when this pandemic ends and we can see the ballet again, you are going to want to watch that man dance because it is a thing of wonder. But for next week, get excited because our guest is Dami Im. <gasps> She's coming on the show. She's coming on the show. I actually knew that, but I wanted to... <laughs> You know, convey an appropriate, you know, Muro Atoll pizza level of excitement. As many of you will already know, Dummy Im is on this season's Celebrity MasterChef. That starts next Sunday. We're going to have her on the show on Wednesday where we'll get all of the behind-the-scenes goss that you'd like, hopefully. Or we'll probably just ask her about food. It isn't what the show is about after all. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish Island is a proud member of the ACAST Creator Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.